Total Soccer Show Weekend Review! The Premier League only gave us half a slate, but Man City had their say in the title debate. Pep's side took control when KDB entered the field. Yes, the weakness in the Death Star has now been sealed. Sir Jim Ratcliffe realised he paid a big price to watch his United side give up a lead twice, and Luton showed us late equalisers are allowed, even if the goalkeeper is very clearly fouled. In Barcelona, the outlook is cloudy after Real Madrid schooled them in Saudi. Los Blancos pace and power was never ending. Or was it just that Barca didn't do much defending? And AFCON is underway and hosts Ivory Coast are doing just fine. They haven't won this tournament since Sadio Mane's bride was nine. Oh, that was 2015. Whoops, whoops. Anyway, my name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to consider editing that intro straight away. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. No, I mean, you know, it, it's accurate. Uh, yeah, that was... The, what a whirlwind. What a whirlwind uh, that story and saga has been. Ryan, nicely done, my friend. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Maybe we won't touch much on that later in the episode. Okay, but just so she is, she is definitely 18, right? So he's 31, she's 18. Because then I saw reporting that she's actually 26, but I also saw reporting it's a long-term relationship and they met when she was 14. Lots of dates being thrown around, and I'm just going to say this. None of them good. None of them mm. are good dates. The, the math isn't yeah. mapping in a good way, shall we no. say, Taylor? No. Let's, no. Uh, let's Jay swiftly Seinfeld move on. got away with it. Sadly, yeah. mine, can, I'm guessing. Oh boy. Graham Rutherford. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> what oh. about at three at, at ten fifteen in the morning? All right. Good start. <laughs> well, you know it's a holiday, anything goes. How are you, Ryan Bailey? I'm very good, Graham. All the better for seeing you wearing a lovely athletic club shirt as we record today. The uh, El Derby this weekend we're gonna be talking about later. We are indeed big win for Athletic Club and, and the Derby, as you say, Ryan. They're it's they're better. flying under the radar about this season, but having a, a very good campaign. So so yeah, I'm excited to talk about them. Very nice. Well, I'm excited to talk to our good friend, Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Taylor, if this is 10-15 combo for you, it's 8-15 combo mm, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what a way to start the day, fellas. Yeah. Ryan, again, <laughs> well done on the intro. I'm still not over it. Okay, good to hear. Plenty to talk about on this weekend review. Before we get there, though, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you want to encourage and support whatever we're doing here, Um some great new content on the Patreon at the moment. We've got bonus yeah, including episodes. Joe's uh, 10 Essentials GQ's yes. video. I don't know if you were going to get there, Ryan. But, Joe, what are you addicted to? Your number 10 item. Oxymetazoline. Oxymetazoline. Right. Okay. Is that a healthy addiction to have? I'm not entirely uh, sure what that is. No. No. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, I feel like any addiction is, is not a good addiction to have. Uh, folks can go and watch the, the 10 Essentials video, which I copied from Ryan, who copied it from Graham. And now, Taylor, okay. I'm waiting for you to copy it from me, who copied it from Ryan, who copied it from I'm Graham. Excited. I assume that's coming at some point, but I did run through my 10 Essentials, including um, I'm, I'm trying to stake my claim on the whatever corner is kitty corner to Graham's cereal love. I would like to be just like across the road. I also love cereal, maybe not mm. quite as much as Graham. But there is a cereal mention in there as well. I'm not. I'm not as familiar with what is it? Peanut butter crunch. I don't think yeah. you get that in the UK. Joe's is, is, should that out. be on my my shopping list when I'm you, over in the US? And people April. talk about Captain Crunch. No, Captain Crunch can take a walk. Peanut butter crunch is 1,000 percent the superior crunch cereal. Graham, that's one. Next time you're in the US, it's worth trying. Yeah, and Joe knows a thing or two about food. He said, after all, in that video, garlic is the best spice. <clears throat> garlic powder, <laughs> I think, absolutely counts as a spice. Ryan, I will not hear anything otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, even if it does, the best one. What, what's oh, your What's your pick, Ryan? Go ahead. Salt. Uh, sporty. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I 
I wanted to disagree, but the more I think about it, absolutely like, a spice. Gar- garlic is the essential one. Garlic and garlic itself is not a spice, but garlic once it is turned into a powdered form, I think absolutely takes on the form of a spice. Otherwise, it's an allium, right? I think that's what what actual garlic is. But yes, of course, we all knew that. It's the number one. Come on, come on, yeah. Marvelous stuff. Well, plenty more debate to be had on that in our Discord, which you can access if you join us at patreon.com slash totalsoccershow. Uh, let's start off our journey on this weekend in the Premier League, shall we? Why not start at St. James's Park, where Manchester City pulled off a 3-2 win over Newcastle? Uh, a comeback win this was, uh, Joe, with uh, Kevin De Bruyne uh, coming on the field and making the difference. Yeah, this game was awesome. This game was really, really fun. And I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be as good as it was after how it started, which was a lot of Man City dominating, certainly dominating possession, but also dominating like the entire flow of the game. It was one-way traffic for the most part, right? Outside of Newcastle spamming balls in behind, but they weren't really getting on the right side of the offside line. They injure Aderson or Man City injure Aderson. There's a ball over the top and Aderson has to come off after coming out to deal with it. But they, don't, they weren't gaining a ton of ground from those moments. Man City had a ton of the ball. They were breaking through Newcastle's block over and over and over again. Newcastle did not look comfortable back defending in their 4-5-1. And Man City were kind of taking them to task. That is, until <laughs> bending 100% turned into breaking. And there's two very quick goals for Newcastle, both in transition. Isak scores the first one. Anthony Gordon scores the second one. And all of a sudden, Newcastle are up 2-1. I thought at that point the game might be over, and it still had another twist in it with De Bruyne coming on in the second half. He was absolutely fantastic. Scores the equalizer for Man City in the 74th minute and has the assist to a player who is, oh. we all agree, is a football manager regen, correct? In, yes. in Oscar Bob? Okay, cool. Just had to make sure. What a name. Has, has a fantastic chipped, maybe not chipped, but ball over the top to Bob at the back post. Again, football manager regen. Like This game had basically everything for the neutral. I had tons of fun on this one. Oscar Bob is what I like to call Bob Hoskins, by the way, Graham. Um, the- best name best name since Jan Vonnegor of Hesselink. And Oscar Bob is so much easier to say. Like, I, I yeah. really struggle to think of a, of a better name in recent history. I remember when Vonnegor of Hesselink signed for Celtic and all the fans were complaining. This was back in the day when you had to pay for each letter on the back <laughs> of your shirt. And so fans were unhappy about that. Oscar Bob feels like a better deal. And he's, yeah. he, is yeah. a, he is a very, very good player, as, as we mentioned, the best name in the Premier League uh, at the moment. Seems like he's actually quite good as well. His quick feet for the winning goal are just sensational. And I maybe understand now why City were willing to let Cole Palmer leave. I, I understand that a little bit more. Now, Bob is just very much a, a Man City player in terms of his work ethic and technical ability, his willingness to receive the ball. His versatility as well. Pep had some things to say about that after the game. And I, I watched Oscar Bob at Hampden Park a couple of months ago. I thought he was the standout player on the pitch that night. And his directness and ability to, to carry the ball, it, it was a really kind of standout quality for him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he fits in at City in the years to come. Also looking forward to seeing how Norway continue to miss out on tournaments with this kid alongside uh, Erling Haaland and Martin Odegaard. That's going to be quite an achievement. Graham, to your point about uh, Cole Palmer, did you see Pep's quotes that mentioned him? I didn't know. What did they? What I think it was post game. He said, "Like you know, we 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 really love Oscar Bob. I think he just called him Oscar. Uh, you know, he's he's such a phenomenal player. He's so good. He's happy here. Then again, we thought Cole Palmer was happy, and you see how that turned out. But it's normal to like want more minutes and to want more opportunities. And it just felt like there was a little bit of preemptive shade there. Of like, oh, are you going to mm. abandon us like Cole Palmer? You wouldn't possibly do that to us. I like Pep playing the mind games on and off the pitch." 
Yeah, indeed. He's he's fun when he's mischievous and kind of a bit of a villain. Pep Guardiola, he does that well. Also, but then also, like, he had some weird moments in this one because he seemed to be, what's the uh, backup goalkeeper's name? Forgive me, I didn't write it Ortega. down. Ortega. Like, he seemed to be yelling at Ortega for not already warming up within two seconds of Ederson going down due to injury. That was such an iron. Like, even Ortega was on the bench like, I, what do you want from me? I don't understand. Like, it was, it felt like maybe this is the moment when things are going to boil over and City are going to come off the rails. And instead, they did the opposite of that. And Pep ended up hugging every player and all smiles and still being yeah. a gamesman, like, when his post-match interview came. But uh, But I feel like from where they started to where they finished, it is a strong sign of things to come, in my opinion. Pep celebrated those two goals, particularly the winner, yeah. a lot, even mm-hmm. for Pep Guardiola. I know he's quite demonstrative on the touchline anyway. But that just says to me, watching this game, this felt like a turning point for Manchester City in their season. They've they've been a little bit underwhelming, a little bit inconsistent. Obviously, they've had the injuries to De Bruyne and to Erling Haaland. They've had to shift things around a little bit. And it's a cliche at this point. We mention it on pretty much every single weekend review show. You come into the new year and Man City find their stride. And this, while it certainly wasn't a perfect performance, Joe outlined that the, some of the issues that Newcastle were giving them. It just feels like this is the catalyst. It's too early to know whether this will be a turning point, but I bet it is. I bet we look back in a few months and say this was the game. Graham, I, I, it's a strange thing. I think I totally agree with you. Simultaneously, this is City who are now on a nine-game unbeaten run in all competitions. Yeah, but it's those not games as though have they've been, been like, like the yeah. FA Cup and Club World Cup and like some a of whole them. load of other. There've been some Premier League them. games in there too. It's just it's an odd thing to say that like they've been in a strong run of form and simultaneously this could be the turning point. But I do agree with you. This does feel like a statement game. I also felt like if Newcastle lost this one in more emphatic fashion, it might also be a sign they weren't going into finish in the top four. I still don't really know what to make of them after this result. But with City, I'm definitely on the same page as you that I think this is a this will end up being a a big victory if and when they win the title. I think this will be one of the games that's looked back upon as this is where they found their footing and figured out some things along the way. Yeah, Taylor, to jump onto Newcastle for a second there, it did feel like they were they started this game really well, had a load of mm-hmm. early chances. It had the same energy to me as that PSG win they had. Mm-hmm. And then for City to turn that energy around in the way they did, I think says a lot about City, but maybe a lot about Newcastle too at this point. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's some injuries, there's some limitations there. I, I think maybe Newcastle were helped by the fact that Kyle Walker just decided not to defend for two goals. I really don't know what he is doing. For the first one, it's a really good ball over the top by, by uh, Bruno Guimaraes, and But like Walker watches it but then sort of misreads what it's gonna do and then he over pursues and gets beat and for the second one he just kind of like if you watch I think he assumes he has cover and then realizes he doesn't way too late so then he has to over pursue and sprint back and that's why he gets cut cut on and that's why then the goal comes about from Anthony Gordon both of those moments were just really lackadaisical defending and Maybe that's, to Graham's point, representative of what City's season has been, that at times they switch off, and then sometimes they haven't really clicked back into gear. Sometimes they have. In this case, they definitely did. And to Joe's point, I feel like it started strong for City, then there's these two weird goals, and then they really kind of went after it. Newcastle sat off and sat off and sat off, and I think that's a big reason why City ended up winning. But it's also because Pep made smart changes, Kevin De Bruyne is very good, and City ultimately have plenty of talent to make things happen. On you go, Ryan. I was just going to say, Taylor, just to clear up on the Carl Walker thing, you're saying he was playing away where he shouldn't be. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yes exactly. I knew you couldn't resist. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Graham. Could, what, what, what do you mean, Ryan? Whatever do you mean? You're just saying he was out of position. He, should, he wasn't where he was. That's all I was getting at. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're trying to get us sued by two different people in, <laughs> in the first 15 minutes of this episode? 
Graham. Yeah, on, on Newcastle um, and some of their struggles, I, I can't remember if I read this or heard this somewhere, but they haven't scored a, a goal that has changed the outcome of a match this season after, in the Premier League after like the 68th minute or something. That which is I a think Joe says, stat. Says something about how... <laughs> so injuries have been a factor for them this season and their struggles, but you look at this starting lineup, and actually it's pretty strong. You would argue they're maybe listening, uh, missing... A couple of key players, Nick Pope and Joe Linton. But the depth just isn't there off the bench to change games. And I think particularly because they're quite a physical team, Newcastle. Like it's quite a physical approach yeah. that they that they have. They need that depth, particularly in a season where they've had Champions League group stage games. And so while Newcastle, if, they, if, if the teams around them win their games in hand, I think Newcastle can drop to like 11th or, or maybe even 12th in the table which is quite stark for a team that finished in the top four last season. But there are mitigating factors there. And I just, I I come back to this thing of this sense of they overachieved last season, they were ahead of schedule last season, and now they're kind of paying for that a little bit. Yep, Graham, I I 1000% agree with you. I think when you you look at how Eddie Howe wants to play with this group, and you can even see it in this game, where they're not high-pressing a ridiculous amount, but they are high-pressing. But when they're back in that 4-5-1 block, they don't look... They don't look comfortable. And I don't mean that they're incapable of defending in a block because these are professional soccer players that know how to do that stuff. They're also still playing for Newcastle. So I think there's still some of that DNA in there. But like, there's also this idea that they just want to push forward. You can see it in how they defend. There are certain teams around the world that just do not look comfortable stylistically defending back in a block. They always want to be pushing forward. They're always eager to break forward. And you can see that in this game. Newcastle want to put their foot down. They want to put the pedal to the metal and break forward and and be up in your face and run a ton. And at this point, when they've dealt with a ton of injuries basically all season, when they've been in more competitions than they're used to, and they don't have the depth to your point, Graham, we start to see some of those things come back to bite them. And and weirdly, I didn't necessarily think it was the fitness in this game that did Newcastle in. I I thought they just got outplayed by City. Like, City just outfoxed them, and, and De Bruyne's positioning, you can see it on his, really his involvement in the second half. We don't see City use like a a classic number 10 terribly often and where De Bruyne and even in the first half players like Doku or or others were picking up space just in zone 14 or or a little bit deeper downfield just purely as this attacking midfield type. City just outfoxed Newcastle and and to flip it back Mm -hmm. to Man City for for one moment here. Actually, Joe, before you do that, can I I say one more thing about Newcastle? I think it's worth if we have Newcastle listeners listening, I feel like they've been yelling a certain name a couple different times in this recap and to give them a little more credit, I think when your second most expensive signing ever, who is meant to be the linchpin of your midfield, is suddenly suspending for gambling uh, that you didn't know was coming, and that suspension was sort of, I think, very much not part of their plans, I think that does factor into things totally. a little bit. To lose Sandro Tonali the way they have, who I think was meant to be this instrumental figure, that does give me a little bit more sympathy for them, even if sympathy is the wrong word. To your point, though... You can still adjust for that, and you can still find ways to deal with it. And really, this game felt to me like there were there was some disparity in the talent, there was some disparity in in the depth and the and the overall quality. But there was also just a a hesitancy from Newcastle in that second half, and the way the go ahead goal comes about by three different Newcastle players standing off Kevin De Bruyne like a yeah. good fifteen yards and being like, "Oh, you're going to mega off for a goal? Oh no, you're going to play a perfect ball in for." The assist, that's probably on us. That was not a great moment from Newcastle either, but City quite good. Back to you, Joe. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a lot of what I was getting to. I, I don't think Man City 
I think there's a reality where Man City lose this game 2-1. I, I think that is absolutely a possibility. Breaking mm -hmm. down blocks is hard, even one like Newcastle that was very eager to shift and to push forward, which then created space for Man City. I don't think Newcastle defended in a way that was optimal when you're playing a, a team that's as good with the ball as Man City is. But I, I think there's still a reality where City don't you know, come out and, and get back into this game. But man, they are just so filthy good on the ball. And if you give them virtually any space, it feels like they're going to play through you. And this is not like the, the common City lineup that we've seen all year long. They're missing several key players themselves. Erling Holland not available for this game. John Stones, not available for this game. Manuel Akanji, who's been sort of the John Stones deputy in that center back midfield role, not available for this game. So like all of these, all of these things are going against Man City as well. But the way that they took Newcastle to task at times in possession, shifting yeah. them side to side, quick reversal to the other side. We see that on the first goal, then just breaking in behind the line in, in midfield. They're just so darn hard to stop. And it does sort of feel like at least in possession, they are rounding into form. Hmm. What's the best goal in this game? I'm interested in your thoughts on this because all five are incredible. Like the match that they had, not a goal of the weekend competition, they had a goal of the game competition yeah. out of this one. So which is the best one? They were all excellent, Graham. Can I nominate Anthony Gordon for the sole reason that Peter Drury in the celebration called him Anthony Gorgeous Gordon? He's a lot of things, Anthony Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, uh, he's good at football, I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. Uh, gorgeous, not 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 convinced. Maybe he'll grow into his looks. We'll it's put it the, that way. For me, Graham, it's the Bernardo Silva finish. Yeah. It, you yes. can look at other bits of build-up, and I think there probably are better bits of build-up in this game, but even the build-up to this one's not bad at all. Right, New Ca You mean when City. Anthony Gordon was thrown into the advertising hoardings? Do you uh, mean that's that, that moment Gorgeous of the build-up? Yeah, <laughs> that's 100% a foul from, from Ruben Diaz. I don't understand how that was not called a foul, but it's a great bit of build-up from Man City. It, it is. the ball from left to right, the ball comes in, Bernardo crashes, and the flick, like the sort of so casual back heel flick, yeah. it's like the kind of goal that I can imagine, Taylor, you pulling off in like a 7v7 game and playing it cool just because like you're, you're that kind of guy. Entirely but it's so, it's so... Smooth. Like, like I guess I just the focus there is like 7v7. You do it in a small-sided game. Everyone's like, mm. wow, that was really sick. And then everybody kind of moves on. To do it in this game, in this moment, it, yeah, yeah. it's filthy. It's like he guides it in. He knows exactly what he's, what he's doing. Because I think sometimes with that finish, and we've, we've all tried it in fives or sevens, right? And even if you pull it off, it feels a little bit kind of, a little bit messy. Whereas his is, his is just very guided. Oh, he knows he's, I'm just he's watching putting, it again he knows right now, Graham. It. It's so yeah. good. He knows he's putting it in the back corner as well. It's not just to get it on target. It's to guide it past the goalkeeper. So, yeah, I think that's top of my list as well. well. And, and it's not like the ball's on the floor from Kyle Walker either. Like, Kyle Walker whips that ball in. It's not on the ground. It's maybe, like, two or three feet off the ground, and it dips right as it arrives at Bernardo Silva's kind of path where Silva's running. And to control the ball, if it's coming on the ground, it's a bit easier, right? But to control the ball as it's just bouncing in front of you and to finish all in one motion is just stupid. Yeah, that might be the best one indeed. City now just two points behind Liverpool, both on 20 games. Yeah, things to come from that team for sure. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Old Trafford. We're going to go and look at the Classico in Saudi and much more back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So the Soccer Show, we are reviewing the weekend. We go now to the four-goal spectaculare at Old Trafford. What? Uh, Man United, two Spurs, two Spurs coming back from behind twice in this one. Uh, Rashford's Hoyland with the opener. Charlison with the equaliser. Well, Charlison having a good game here, by the way. Uh, Rashford and then Benton Court with the goals. Uh, we had a... So, so, so Graham, we, we had a four goals in this game. We had a doggy heading the ball against his own post. We had two teams mm. that weren't full strength and a lot of drama. But I can't actually figure out, was this a good game? I'm not sure. It was entertaining. First of all, Taylor, did you remember to buy your game-specific NFT for this uh, for this match? <laughs> that's, that's I don't even know what you're referencing, but I also know that I hate <laughs> it. Go ahead. So basically, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Manchester United put out this tweet before the game. It was a checklist for fans ahead of the match. And it was the usual stuff, you know, match day program, scarf, shirt, on the list, game-specific uh, NFT. Because you just, you just, you can't forget your game-specific NFT. If anything yeah. was needed, I'm not sure anything was needed to sum up, not just the Premier League, but that club at the moment, it came in that. Wait, in, that, mean, in that tweet. You mean a scam? You mean a scam, Graham? Is that what you mean? <laughs> I, I'm just imagining, They don't Graham, make it easy. There's, there's uh. a, a fan, a young fan with their parent at Old Trafford that game saying, but daddy, my, my NFT isn't game specific. <laughs> and just getting very upset about it. Well, that's it. what memories are made of, Ryan, when you take your you know, your son or daughter along to their first game and they, they bring along their game specific NFT. You know, that's the, the sort of thing they'll remember for, for years to come. Does anyone remember when Football Weekly from The Guardian started like semi started their campaign to just stop football like that's just enough like it's yeah. it's enough we don't need this anymore yeah manchester united think, really pushing me in that direction well i think they've been on that campaign for years to be honest manchester united <laughs> Taylor. Yeah. um back to your question ryan it certainly was fun. an entertaining match <laughs> and <laughs> I, I felt that both teams showed both what they can do well and also what they don't do so well so at the risk of stating the obvious it's a better point for Spurs than it was for Manchester United in a sense because obviously they're the away team but also they are missing a lot of key players my United have injuries as well but it feels like the players that Spurs are missing James Madison primarily and Son obviously away at the Asian Cup are just so central to what to, to what they do um, on the other side of it, I thought Spurs were the stronger team in this match. And so they come away from this game probably thinking this is a, is a missed opportunity. I feel like Manchester United's issues are a, are a bit more fundamental at this moment in time. They have a problem with their identity as a team. And I guess that's primarily why Ratcliffe and Ineos have come in. Um, Ratcliffe at this game spoke to the media, I think, for a couple minutes, which is more than the Glazers did in their entire like 18 years as owners. I, I want to know how much dust was on his seat in the Manchester United director's box when he pulled that down, because that seat hasn't been opened for the best part of two decades. But yeah, that's primarily why any of us have come in, is to deal with that that identity issue. And I thought we saw that issue in, in this performance. Was this meant to be 
a counter-attacking performance? Was it a high press? Because there was moments of high press where Manchester United were fairly effective and then other moments when they weren't so effective and they dropped back. Why was Kobe Menu left so exposed in d- defensive transition so many times? Was that by design? Was that Spurs exposing something that Manchester United had intended to work in a different way? So yeah, they're just a confusing team to watch at the moment. I think a draw, I mean, as I say, Spurs were were um, were the stronger team on, on, on balance. I don't think a draw is completely outrageous. But mine United just have some things to sift through in a way that Spurs, I, I don't think, do at the moment. They do indeed. Uh, Taylor Marcus Rashford uh, on the score sheet in this one. Confidence back? Yay? Nay? It's it's tricky because it's a good goal from him. It's a nice uh, one-two with him and, and Hoyland. But then for Hoyland's goal, it's Rashford just trying to do way too much and dribble four maybe different Tottenham players at once in the box and basically gets the ball taken off of him. And it very favorably falls to Hoyland, who then finishes emphatically. But like right there, that felt like, oh, here we go again. Rashford trying to do too much, maybe head down dribbling, but it ends in a goal. So that's good. But I can't say that's intentional. I think that gets to Graham's point. There's just aspects of this game for Manchester United that it's difficult to know. Is that by design or because of chaos and, and the result comes from that? Whereas with Spurs, I, I think... It's a set-piece goal, but that it's a really nice goal from open play when nobody dra- basically comes back to Mark Bentham Core. You might want to pick somebody up when they're running into the box with that speed screaming for the ball, but, you know, I'm not Man United. Uh, so I do think it's absolutely a better point for Tottenham than for Manchester United, and I think if you're a Man United fan, as I am, it, it feels sort of like more of the same than any sort of turning point, to go back mm-hmm. to our earlier conversation about their Manchester uh, counterparts. Ryan, how pleased were you to see... Uh... Turbo, Turbo Timo? Here it is. is that, oh that was his nickname, I cannot right? believe Timo we've Verna. made it this far without Ryan bringing up that shot. If you watch this game, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Ryan, how have you restrained yourself? I can't decide if I'm proud of you or disappointed in you. Are you trying to say I've got something against Timo Werner? Is yes. That, is, that a, is, that, I, is that a thing? Is that on the I bingo card? I would never go so far. I can't. I mean, Joe, Joe, I can't believe it wasn't in the rhyming introduction, to your point. No, I, I thought that, for agree, sure that was going agree. in there. Nothing rhymes with Werner. Uh, Lerner. There was one. Werner. Joe, uh, um, <laughs> lots of things rhyme with Werner. Okay, fine. Uh, but uh, we did see, obviously, we had that Werner. shot. And we had um, uh, at least one offside I can remember as well. Oh, come on. I I, I actually like this this Tottenham transfer for him. I'm going to make the case for Timo Werner. Do you like I was it for him or for Tottenham, Graham? For, bo- for both of them, right? So I was always a bit of a Timo <laughs> Werner uh, apologist. There, there's, I, here's my argument, right? There's not much expectation for him to be the main man like he was at Chelsea. He comes into that Chelsea team on the back of a Bundesliga season where kind of inexplicably he scored 30 goals in a season. He cost £50 million. Chelsea signed him to be their next number nine. And I, I think that was a bad fit for him. At Tottenham, he's in this team to play a specific role. He's the Dyson Maeda of this Tottenham team. Celtic player, um, if listeners sure. don't know. Oh, yeah, what an acceptable reference. Yeah. We were all with you, yeah. He's a Jap- Japan international. He's, you know, people will have heard of him. But anyway, his role is, or Dyson Maeda is, uh, you know, speedy. He's in the team to, to stretch the pitch. And Postacoglu likes to have that player. And Timo Werner is going to be that guy in this team. Postacoglu isn't expecting him to score... 20 goals in a season or good. even 10 good, goals yeah. in a season which is yeah it's a, a good to lower those expectations um, and I think the role that he plays for this Tottenham team we saw it in this game against Manchester United okay there's the, the, the shot that isn't ideal but peeling away to the left stretching the pitch giving Spurs that outlet particularly that's particularly important when Son is away at the Asian Cup at the moment I thought he linked up well. He completed in the first half 100% of his passes, which I, I, you know, I'm not saying that's worth a huge amount, but it shows that he's sort of integrated reasonably well in a in a new team with new team teammates. And yeah, I think he's going to be quite important over over yeah. the next few weeks. And you see what 
Postcoglu's done with Richarlison. You mentioned that at the top of the show, Ryan, or the top of the segment, that he's in excellent form. People had completely written him off ahead of this season, and now he's got, what, seven goals in eight games? I wouldn't expect that from Werner, but I think he's going to play a pretty significant role for this team. Yeah, Graham, I, I completely agree. And I, I've always been a fan of Timo Werner's game. I like that he stretches the back line. We saw against in that Man City-Newcastle game that we talked about in the first segment how valuable that can be as an attribute. Werner is one of the best in the world at being that vertical threat. And I think the Maeda reference is actually a perfect one, despite us giving you a hard time for it, Graham. Like to see the, the different positional profiles that Postacoglu clearly values and for Spurs right now, they they need attacking help, to your point, without Sun. So I am, I'm a big fan of this move. I don't think Timo Werner is going to be a top two or three scorer on this team. But I think he can absolutely play a role. Uh, my, my take on this game is we didn't learn a single thing about either team. Manchester United are still Manchester United. Marcus Rashford can do good stuff. Oh, okay, maybe we learned that Rasmus Hoyland can score like a little bit more than we thought. But not not really, right? I don't think we learned anything about Man United I don't think we really learned anything about Tottenham either. They've been one of the best teams on set pieces in the Premier League this year. Uh, they have the third most set piece goals in the Premier League, according to Opta. They've got nine now after this game. They were already good at attacking set pieces before this game. That's how they get their equalizer. And then we also learned that, you know, we also saw, we didn't learn, but we saw that Tottenham are vulnerable when they lose the ball, right? They can still be vulnerable in rest defense and transition, defensive transition. So, all of those things are very real and make sense for a team that is adapting to a new game model under Postacoglu. And I think really both of these teams are pretty much in the exact same spot that they were before this game kicked off. Yeah. The the Hoyland goal, by the way, we're talking about our favorite goals earlier. I love a goal from relatively close range that is hit at like 200 yeah. miles an hour. There's something very pleasurable about that, isn't there? When it properly goes into the roof of the net as well. Very enjoyable. It's the roof part. Yeah. It's crushing it into the roof of the net. Like... It, yeah, it just feels very emphatic. Although I think Spurs' finish was sort of equally well done by Bethlehem <laughs> Core, the uh, the equalizer. Yeah. I feel like he hit that one pretty hard into a similar spot from a similar position. So credit to him. The only other thing I learned from this game is that uh, Udogi Udogi is slightly better at uh, selling contact than Garnacho, though neither of them was particularly convincing on the day. Both of them, I think, trying to earn penalties when maybe a penalty was not due. Yeah. Interesting contrast as well, I suppose, once again reinforced between the two Manchester sides, Taylor. We had this Manchester side uh, giving up a lead twice. We had the other one pulling off the kind of comeback from behind win that the old Manchester side used to do back in the day under Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm -hmm. It's a show of where we Yeah. Speaking of Sir Alex Ferguson uh, and to Graham's point about Jim Ratcliffe talking, I did enjoy the, the cutaway to Ratcliffe emphatically talking at Sir Alex Ferguson, who was sort of vaguely aware <laughs> that there was someone talking to him and just sort of was like, oh, yeah? And then went back to you watching know, the game. It didn't really give him yeah. anything. It was enjoyable. You know that. You know that meme of the guy talking to the girl yes. in the nightclub, yes. and she just is like, "And I've, I've paid one point three billion for this club, yeah. and they've given me full sport and control, and we're going to sign Michael Olise, and we're going to sign Jeremy Frimpong, and everything's going to be uh -huh, sure. Yeah, okay, Jeff. Yep, heard it before. So, Sir Alex, my my game specific NFT has Werner on it, so it's game specific. Your one isn't. Your one's just a general Man United one. He's trying to just explain the tech to him. I think is what it was. Of course. Yeah. Anyway. Sigh. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, Chelsea with a 1-0 win over their South West London counterparts, Fulham. Cole Palmer with a penalty uh, separating the teams in there. Chelsea have won three Premier League games in a row for the first time since October 2022, Graham. That's what Opta tells us. Fun. 2022 October wow. okay. 2022 <laughs> I was expecting that to finish with a three 2023 but nope that's uh like you know 14 15 months ago yep. okay cool I guess that that fits for for Chelsea yeah this was uh 
I guess a relatively routine win for them. Malagusto maybe gets away with a, a, a red card. On another day, he is sent off for a pretty dangerous tackle, I think, into, into the ankle of a, a Fulham player. Um, the standout player for me in this game was, was Conor Gallagher, and I've been impressed by him all season. This was probably one of his best performances, certainly, that I've seen this season. I think his off-the-ball work is is really important to what Pochettino wants to do with, with Chelsea, and um, he's second. I went and looked through some of his underlying numbers. He's, he's second for possession one in the Premier League this season. All, posi- all positions, all players, he's second in that list, and he's top for possession one in the final third, so I think that tells you a lot about we know how Pochettino wants Chelsea to play and he's one of those players that seems to have absorbed some of those ideas and then when he's on the ball as well I think he's quick to get on the turn and into the half spaces of course there's a lot of speculation around Conor Gallagher right now because Chelsea apparently are considering selling him Um, so that would be fun for Chelsea to sell arguably their best player this season it would be completely backwards it's down to the way that FFP works. It's the reason Man City sold Cole Palmer. Um, you can put down a sale of a youth academy player as pure profit to then go and sign more players in the transfer market because that's, of course, what Chelsea need to do. But yeah, I can't imagine Pochettino will be very happy if uh, Chelsea decide to sell Conor Gallagher because he embodies a lot of what he wants to do as manager of Chelsea. Mm, interesting there. Also interesting, a moment that went viral from this game, a group of supporters uh, were seen reading a book all standing up reading a book during this game. Uh, it turns out it was a stunt to promote an upcoming film called Argyle, which has Dua Lipa and uh, John Cena and the likes in it. Uh, it's made by a production... Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's a fil- Wait, that cast doesn't... It's got Dua Lipa <laughs> and John Cena. Yeah. You just said that as if that was the most natural... Is that what films are now? Famous movie days? stars Dua Lipa and John Cena, yes. Uh, I watched. <laughs> course, a, in fact, I watched the trailer last night. I think it's Matthew Vaughan who's, who's done all the Kingsman and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Is that more or less depressing? than the nft the match specific nft let me clarify <laughs> the, i really don't know it, well, it's a bummer either way yeah the 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 uh the, the movie's made by a production company owned by todd bowley so that's why it happened also looked into it and more the chelsea women's team more have depressing. been um been pictured with uh argyle merchandise as well going into games so this has right. been a long running thing but it got me it got me thinking graham like is this any worse than the fans at Bayern Munich, uh, you know, being the T-shape in the crowd where they mm. dress as a T? Or Inter Milan two weeks ago were led out onto the field by literal transformers. Well, mm. not, not little, not little robots in disguise from from a different planet. Optimus like, Prime people... is real. You yeah. heard it here first. Ryan is breaking news left and right today. People dressed in transformers costumes. It's, right. it's, it's just modern soccer. It's just it's just part of the course now, right? I, I'm just thinking how much fun it's going to be when all the Chelsea team are dressed like Spider-Man for a game. I presume that's coming at some point. They play a full ninety minutes dressed. Spite as Spider Man, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, the Transformers thing is kind of cool. I, I'm I, also, I, I'm, I'm still stuck on that, on that as well. Ryan, are you the one who whose pet peeve is when people say literal to describe things that aren't literal, or is that someone else I'm thinking? That's of? why I immediately corrected myself, Joe. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, okay. gotta gotcha. catch yourself <laughs> in these things anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's a thing that happened at Chelsea. Uh, Burnley had a 1 1 draw against Luton, a controversial late Luton equalizer here because <laughs> the Burnley keeper was quite clearly fouled in the build up to it. Uh, but VAR let it go. Uh, Jay. AJ Watt uh, saying after the game, I'm new to this ownership thing. If I get fined by the Premier League, so be it. This is blatant and obvious of a foul as you could have. To miss this on the field and to miss this on VAR is truly disgraceful, says JJ. Get him, JJ. That's former Arizona Cardinals defensive end, JJ Watt. Thank you very much. Yeah. I hope he's got lots of winter essentials like Joe does in his Arizona 10 essentials list, by the way. It's very chilly, (laughs) Arizona, this time of year, as we're told continually by Joe. Uh, Everton with a 0-0 draw against Aston Villa. The best stat of the weekend came from this. 
this, Taylor. Check this out. After 97 matches, Unai Emery has drawn a Premier League game nil-nil for the first time in his managerial career. Wild. That is wild. And normally that can go horrifically, and it's because he's won 20 and lost all the rest. But with Unai Emery and the way Villa have been playing, that's a pretty strong stat for where they are in the table. Nicely done, Unai. Indeed. Uh, a couple of uh, moments from the lower down in England I'd just like to mention. Bolton versus Cheltenham very sadly had a match abandoned because a fan passed away in the stadium. There was another abandonment uh, in the third tier, Reading versus Port Vale. A fan uh, invasion onto the field in protest of their owner, Dai Yonge. Uh, the club, Reading, has been sanctioned by the EFL with transfer embargoes over an unpaid tax bill. They're 21st in the championship. Since November 2021, they've had 16 points deducted for this season already they're trying to get their owner out they actually had the game forced into an abandonment in protest so maybe some changes coming at Reading and also uh, as we record or over the last day or so we're hearing maybe it's happened already but Everton and Nottingham Forest might be getting some further sanctions coming their way for uh it's weird it's weird how we haven't seen those reports about Man City yet uh just wondering when that's going to be coming through anytime now anytime now yeah 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 that's uh 115 reports coming very soon, I'm sure, Taylor. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. They're targeting the most important stuff first, sure. Yeah, <laughs> great, awesome, brilliant. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's reset. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Classico, the one in Riyadh. Woo! Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We go now to the Spanish Super Cup, where Real Madrid had a 4-1 win over Barcelona. This one in Riyadh in the new, or newish expanded Super Cup format in Spain. Graham, how much should we, ca- with all due respect, should we care about this Clasico compared to regular ones, ones that aren't held in Riyadh for a Super Cup? Yeah, so the, the Spanish Supercopa traditionally is held in a little... It's, it's held in higher esteem than, say, the Community Shield in England, for example, which is obviously the traditional seasonal curtain raiser. The Community Shield is barely more than a friendly. And I'm not saying the Supercopa is on a level with like a Champions League final or even a, a, a league classical, so I accept the premise of the question, Ryan. But these games are competitive. They do they do matter. I've, I've been to a, a classical in a... Well, yeah, they, they they didn't really turn up for this one. But I've been to a, a, a Supercopa Classico and, you know, it's a full stadium, very competitive game. That was back when it was just a two-legged final, home and away like it used to be before they sold it to Saudi Arabia. I think right now it's a bit of a Frankenstein's monster of a tournament with the semi-finals and having the four teams and moving it to Saudi Arabia has obviously been a, a farcical for more than one reason. We saw in the semi-final the Saudi fans uh, booing the moment's reflection for Franz Beckenbauer for reasons that are not totally clear, and then booing Tony Cruz throughout the game for comments that he made about uh, Gabby Vega moving to Saudi Arabia and saying that no top player would ever move to Saudi Arabia. He was booed during the final as well, despite the fact that the majority of the crowd in Riyadh uh, appeared to be Real Madrid fans dressed in Real Madrid shirts. Mm. Tony Cruz is not their favourite. I presume you were absolutely furious at that reaction for your favourite, Tony Cruz, Ryan. But to answer your question, more competitive certainly than the Community Shield, but maybe a little bit less competitive and meaningful than your average league or certainly Champions League classical match. Okay, so Taylor, we had a Vinicius hat-trick here, Rodrigo with the fourth, uh, Lewandowski with a very nice volleyed consolation in this one. But um, those first two early goals from Real Madrid in particular... Barcelona um, pushing quite high for that, should we say? Uh, I think uh, Maka, yeah. uh, uh, McManaman on the commentary was saying, this is kids football, uh, the way he described the defending there. 
I mean, that is generous in some ways. Uh, it, it, was, it was wild, those goals. But then there's also other moments when the high line is beaten and it, there's maybe a heavy touch or it's just a little bit too far out in front. It, it could have been a lot worse f- for Barcelona. And it really, like, I don't think this is the case, but it felt as though the match briefing had been, hey, like, like Vinicius and Rodrigo can get caught offside a lot. They stray offside, so make sure you step high. And that was the extent of the preparation, not make sure you apply pressure higher up the pitch so, like, ball-playing defenders don't have, like, minutes to pick out their spot and play it. It felt like there was very limited pressure from Barcelona despite that high line. And so in the end, it just... Ended up being a foot race, and with Vinicius Jr. occasionally starting from his own half, that high line really was negated, and the foot race was not in their favor, as evidenced by the two goals. And I would also say Araujo getting uh, his second yeah. yellow and a red card in this one. See, the, conf- the confusing thing about the backline, the Barca backline, Taylor, is last season it was Barca's defense mm-hmm. that won them the league title. Like the league title, they had the best defensive record. And uh, coming into this season, the promise was that Barcelona would play better football. That was really the vow. That hasn't really happened. But also the de- the defense has just disintegrated. And the offside trap was very effective in in, in games against Real Madrid as well, not just in the league as, as a whole last season. In Classicals last season, that was a thing that Real Madrid couldn't really figure out against Barcelona. So it's just confusing that watching them play this high line and there were moments Mm. where I agree, Taylor, there was very little pressure on the ball at points, but then there were other moments where, and I think this illustrates how difficult it is to play against Real Madrid at the moment where they have players like Jude Bellingham, who is press resistant. And for the first goal, I think it's the first goal that he assists, he's got two Barcelona players applying pressure to him and there's a third pretty close by as well and he plays the ball through. But then Barcelona, it was like, right, we'll stand off. And then there was confusion over who was going to Bellingham and then Andreas Christensen would do that and then that would open up these huge gaps and the back line would be all fragmented and Jules Koundé in particular didn't seem to know who was kind of organising the line, who they were staying to. They made the same mistake twice for the first two goals and Gundogan and De Jong were continually caught in no man's land and maybe with Gavi and the team, it's different because his pressing ability is really important to this Barcelona team. But they just need to be more adaptable, more resilient, maybe resilient is the word I'm, I'm looking for, because earlier in the season we were saying things like they needed Pedri back. You know, they ne- he was out injured for a while, they needed Pedri for the, the creativity. He's now come back into the team, and now the argument is, well, now they can't cope without, without Gavi. The thing that sustains them needs to be the structure, the framework, the mm-hmm. identity of the team, rather than the individuals, which is where Barcelona are at the moment. And I contrast that to Real Madrid's, who have had their own injuries. Countless players have been out injured for Real Madrid, but somehow Ancelotti's managed to keep that framework together. And Javi right now, I, I don't really feel very good about him as Barcelona boss manager at this moment in time. It feels like the pressure is getting yeah. quite intense on him. Uh, he, hasn't, right he hasn't gotten the full vote of confidence yet. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if that comes in the next couple of days. I don't think it would make sense for them to part ways with him. Uh, both from a, like, he's a club legend and that might be premature standpoint, but also from a, if you sack him, you have to pay him out and then you have to bring in somebody else. Yeah. And I'm not sure they can financially do that. So it feels like they then be promoting a, a like the Barca B coach or an academy coach. And I'm not sure that's the route they want to go either. It, it just feels very strange to me. I don't disagree that Xavi should be feeling uncomfortable and this was not a good performance. This has not been a strong season for them. I, I just, I still am surprised that this is how it is because I Chavi felt to me like he was going to be not necessarily next pep but he was going to be a Barcelona manager for many many years it felt like he transitions from this incredibly important player for them to this 
what I assumed would be incredibly important manager and that it's not working. I guess my takeaway is basically just that when you have things as chaotic as they appear to be behind the scenes and at like overall club level, I imagine that bleeds into the team. And if you have misfiring strikers, it impacts the defense, which was so strong and now maybe just looks a little bit shakier. And once those cracks start opening, it just gets harder and harder to close them, especially if the person who's supposed to be closing them himself might be cracking a little bit. Well, and it's not just chaos, Taylor, for Barcelona. It's it's that they don't have any money. Like yeah. Real Madrid can go out there and get stronger yeah. in a transfer window. Although it is a weird season for Madrid as well because they've been this good without Karim Benzema and without ever really truly replacing him. But, like, Barcelona don't spend a dime on a transfer fee in the summer window. And when you don't do that as an elite-level club, it really doesn't matter who your manager is. Like, this is the the best example that I can think of right now for, like, the argument that managers don't have as big of an impact as we think they do. Like, like do we think that Pep Guardiola could come in overnight and make this team better than they are now? Probably. Do we think Pep Guardiola could come in overnight and make this team into a title challenger? Like, a, a real one? I don't think so. Like, the the tactical approach from Xavi in this game or the execution from the players, I don't know which it is, is shocking. Like, the high line is is absurd. And it's not just saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't play a high line against someone fast. You can play a high line. Just go out there and, Taylor, to your point from earlier, press the ball. Like, go and engage the ball so that you cannot allow those easy passes in behind your back line for someone to run onto. The tactics were off in this game, but overall, this year for Barcelona, it's not about tactics. It's the fact that their club being run in the ridiculous way that it's been run has left them without any money. And when you don't have money to reinvest into the squad, yes, they've added players and they've done some, they've done well in certain pieces of business. But when you don't really have any money to add to your squad and you're doing things like flying to Frisco, Texas, 24 hours after you play a game in La Liga, like I don't really know what you expect when you come up against the model club right now, which is a weird thing to say about Real Madrid, but it is true, the model top club in Spain. That, but Joe, this is a team that won the Liga last season when the situation was arguably worse. And I accept Real Madrid are stronger this year than they were. And I think Atletico Madrid are stronger this year. Yeah. And we've got Girona as well. But so there, the, the field is a little bit There are these natural ebbs and flows, right? You think about a, a team that can... This is a, a very extreme example. But Leicester City go and win the title and they're not expected to win it over and over again, right? Chelsea have good seasons under Antonio Conte and their reign ends, right? Barcelona go and win a title... And they will still be in title contention every year with the amount of quality that they have. But I don't think looking at the financial state of this club and saying like, ah, they'll just be able to continue on winning titles. That's just not realistic. I think that argument would make more sense if the framework was still there. If the approach you could see from last season, okay, they might not be performing at the same level in terms of their output. Maybe they're not creating the same chances. Maybe they're not finishing in the same way. I think that's certainly the case with Robert Lewandowski. But if the framework was was still there, that you could see the identity, I hate the word philosophy, but you know what I'm talking about. If that was still in place from last season to this season, I would understand that argument a little bit more. Just saying, (laughs) hating the word philosophy. Um, But I... (laughs) <laughs> have enough of that that's, that's uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh chat that's Edinburgh <laughs> I, w- I would understand that argument Joe if that if that was, was the case I just see kind of a complete disintegration of and look maybe the chaos is is is, def- is a factor there I think that probably is the case with having to fly to Texas to play friendly matches and all the rest of it but Javi's role is to that he's made that such a central pillar of his whole time as, as Barcelona boss. That was the one thing he came in. He said, we're going to play more Barcelona football. We're going to play possession football. We're going to take this club back to its roots. And I think he did that to an extent last season. But this season, I, as a disintegration is the word that I'm, I, I keep using because that's 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 what I'm seeing. As a suggestion, Graham, this might be a longer term issue. 
let me ask you this question. How many of that Barcelona team would get into the Real Madrid team? I could think of maybe Pedri. Who who else is getting in? Yeah, uh, that's, that's very difficult. Yeah, like one or two, like Gavi, maybe if he's he's fit. Yeah, but I I, I look at the the end of it, the individual the, the the decisions about individuals that both Ancelotti and Javi have made since last summer. So Ancelotti he dropped Kepa and brought in Lunin, and that has worked. Not using Kroos and, and Modric together in the same midfield and using Vinicius and Rodrigo together as a front two. Like, Ancelotti's had troubles as well. He lost his best player. He lost the blooming Ballon d'Or winner in the summer, unexpectedly, at the end of, the, of, the, of, the, of his contract. He had to retool that team. Um, Ferland Mendy, bringing him back into the fold. All those decisions have paid off. Then you look at the individual calls that Xavi has made. Not replacing Busquets in the summer, which I appreciate may have been a financial issue, but prioritising the signing of Ilkay Gundogan, who is a good player... Right, but what is his role in that Barcelona midfield? He's certainly not the Sergio Busquets replacement. There were other areas that needed attention. Um, Rafinha has he really been a? They, they spent seventy million euros, I believe, on Rafinha. Has he been an upgrade on Usman Dembele? I don't think so. And obviously, as injuries have been a factor, chaos have been a factor. They don't have any money, but the stuff that Xavi can control. I think he's failed pretty dramatically this season. Last year, they won the Cop- the Supercoppa and that felt like a sign that Barcelona were heading in the right direction. I remember Joe describing them as one of the best teams in Europe last yeah. season, in the second half of last season. From that point to now, in 12 months, there is no doubt they've taken a giant step backwards and I think a lot of it has to be on Xavi. Yeah, I, I don't think that's wrong necessarily, Graham. I just wonder if... If Xabi's at his best and you take in some of the things from last season and put it onto this this team and in let's just say this game against Real Madrid, to Ryan's point, like or, or Ryan's implicit point, you know, what difference does it make? Real Madrid have the better squad and the better group of available players. Barcelona's injury list right now has some really impressive players in it, as does Real Madrid's, right? So you you put these teams next to each other. Is it really gonna matter most of the time? I don't know. It's hard to say. What we can agree on is that things are messy in Barcelona and that there need to be that there needs to be some sort of change. I would not choose to start that change at the manager, but I also think it would be a defensible thing to do. You look at even just the tactics again in this game, and there's some shocking stuff going on. So either way, there, yeah. there's gonna be a domino to fall at some point. This is where I completely contradict myself. I wouldn't sh- sack Xavi because I don't know who they get in <laughs> with their no money and lack of options. So. Yeah, they're kind of stuck with him for the time being. Oh, dear. Graham Potter's free. I don't know. Throwing <laughs> names out there. Uh, <laughs> uh Elsewhere in Spain, uh, well, not, this was in Riyadh. Let's go to Spain, uh, where Almeria had a nil-nil draw with Girona. Girona, 10-man Girona, uh, going to top of the league despite being unable to beat the aforementioned Almeria. They're a point clear of Real Madrid uh, as of this weekend. And also, Graham, as mentioned at the top of the show, we had the Basque Derby Athletic Club with a 2-1 win over Real Sociedad. Indeed. I've, I've never been to the Basque Derby, but it's on my bucket list of uh, games that I would like to go to because of the atmosphere and the tradition and... I just, I just love it all. So I would like to go to that game at some point. Both teams doing well at the, at the moment as well. La Real have, have dropped off a bit since a, a good start to the season. But Athletic Club, club they, they continue to rise. We haven't really, um, as I said at the top of the show, we haven't really spoken about them this season, but they do deserve some attention because Ernesto Valverde doing an excellent job there. A coach who, in my opinion, I guess this leads uh, quite uh, conveniently off the back of the Barcelona chat, in my opinion, deserves more respect on, on, on his name. I thought he did a good job at Barcelona. They sacked him while they, uh, they were top, by the way, Barcelona. But anyway, he's got that athletic attack firing this season. They've scored more goals at home than, I think, any other La Liga team this season. And the, the speed 
at which they get into the attack and then do something with the ball in the box, it's just very difficult to defend against. And it's it's the type of football that I like to watch. Uh, Nico Williams has probably been the best wide attacker in the Liga this season. Inaki, who's off to AFCON at the moment with with Ghana, he's probably been the second best in, in La Liga. Uh, Berenguer got both goals in this game, both late arriving runs, and that's something that Valverde wants. He wants as many players in the box as possible for these kind of tr- quick transitions and counter-attack moments. And Athletic Club went through a period where I didn't, I didn't really look for their games. They're a little bit boring under Marcelino, but that's definitely changing now. I'm looking out for their matches. And yeah, this is a, a good one for them that keeps them in that top four contention. Off to the Bundesliga we go, where Bayern Munich had a 3-0 win over Hoffenheim on Friday. <coughs> Harry Kane, surprise, surprise, with the goal here. Now 22 goals in 16 games. He's equaled Robert Lewandowski's half-season scoring record. That is a record which we keep, apparently. Uh, Augsburg <laughs> with a 1-0 loss at uh, home to Bayern Leverkusen. Leverkusen are top of the league still with this one. Bayern with a game in hand, though. Taylor, on, um, on Reddit, on the match thread of this, I mm. saw a quote that said, if we don't win the league after this, what is the point of this league? <laughs> wow. I mean, agreed. Agreed. Joe agrees as well, it sounds. Yeah. I mean, no. Like, like do they <laughs> do they understand how... I just, I don't even understand what that comment means. Never mind. I got nothing. I got nothing on okay, that. Okay, great. Let's move on then to Darmstadt, who had a 3-0 home defeat at the hands of Borussia Dortmund, who featured a certain Mr. Jaden Sancho coming back. Jaden? Jaden Sancho coming back. I've gone German. Uh, he's assisting uh, one of the goals here, Joe, on the, his return to Dortmund. I'm just bummed when I'm asking Tyler about this one. But yeah, I thought in general, Dortmund were the, the better team in this game. And you could see from the moment Jaden Sancho comes on in the second half, how much quality he adds. In, in some ways, it's like he never left Borussia Dortmund, which all in all would have been the better career move for him looking back. Like he gets the assist on Dortmund's second goal. It's a nice clean cut back to Marco Royce to make it 2-0. Nothing crazy about the involvement, but he is pulling the strings. You can see him drifting centrally. He's playing, you know, sort of nominally as one of the one of the wingers. He played on the left, he played on the right in Eden Terzic's 4-2-3-1 in this game but he will drift centrally because he is one of the most creative players that Dortmund now have in their squad. I think he's going to give them a huge lift between now and the end of the season. They're obviously not going to win the title at this point, 15 points back of Leverkusen, 11 points back of Bayern Munich and Bayern still have a game in hand on Leverkusen and every other team in the top five, at least of the Bundesliga, every other team, but one in the Bundesliga. So this is not going to be a title challenge for Dortmund, but I think they are going to get better and already have gotten better virtually overnight here. Uh, Taylor, you had your eye on Eintracht Frankfurt's 1-0 win at Ebe Leipzig. Yeah, um, Graham, Graham was the one who actually got me uh, excited to watch Frankfurt with some of the, the transfer activity they've had this window and in windows past. And I thought this was a really interesting game because Leipzig w- were very good. Uh, they, As much as we were talking about Barcelona's high line, there are multiple points in the first half when Leipzig's de- deepest player is about 35 yards from Frankfurt's goal. They pushed everyone forward, and that was not them in possession. That was them out of possession. That's how high up they were trying to limit Frankfurt's ability to build at all. And yet, for as many times as they win the ball back, as many opportunities as they had, it never really felt like they were going to score or create many clear-cut opportunities. And I don't think that's necessarily a limitation with how they were playing or their squad ability. It's that Frankfurt were just excellent. They did a really good job of 
keeping possession. A few times they give the ball away in potentially costly areas, but every single time their immediate response is to flood the center of the pitch and especially the center of the, the box with players. They would have six players centrally. So even if they coughed it up, Leipzig, when they tried to play through, would just be met by a wall of defenders and nothing came of it. And and it was a really strong performance from Frankfurt with that in mind, especially when you look at the fact that they have two January uh, signings starting in this game, Donny van de Beek and Sasha Kalajic. Uh, van de Beek, I thought, looked a little bit sharper. Kalajic, I think, maybe showing some of the rust. He didn't look particularly fleet of foot. He looked a little bit clumsy on the ball at times. And I think was just not quite at the level where he knew exactly where he needed to be in exactly the right moment. But I still think this will end up being a really important signing for them. I think he'll end up getting a good number of goals and be an important player for them in their attack. So I think if you're a Frankfurt fan, this is a very, very positive sign of things to come. Uh, off to Serie A we go, where Inter had a 5-1 win at Monza. Taj Cannon, an unused sub in this one. Serie A's first Canadian player. Very good. Uh, Napoli with a 2-1 win over Salernitana. An extra an extra time goal, uh, helping Napoli get that victory over the Serie A's bottom team. And perhaps the biggest one of the round, Milan with a 3-1 win over Roma. Graham, did you catch that one? I did, yeah. It was impressive by Milan, who, with the exception of a, a little period after the Roma goal, never really felt like dropping points in, in this one. Joe has spoken previously about how dangerous Milan are on the on the counter-attack, and it feels like Pioli has really leaned into that since, uh, well, since Joe started talking about it. Maybe he's a listener to the, to the show. But uh, there was a sticky period in early December where it felt like he was fighting for his job, and it feels like they've, they've kind of moved past that. And it's just overwhelming for opponents to have so many dangerous players running at you at speed even when they're not in the in, in a counter-attacking phase they have players who can just run straight through you like Teo Hernandez who did this for his goal and his goal was one of my goals of the weekend the little flick from Olivia Giroud was excellent but the finish off the underside of the bar it's always better when it comes off the underside of, of, of the bar a goal and uh, it's it's further out, out than Hoyland's finish but Ryan you were talking about players who just smashed the ball into the back of the net back, back of the net excuse me that is uh, what Teo Hernandez did here um, American corner now one of Christian Pulisic's quieter games but there was a lovely nutmeg which I'm, I'm sure will be included in a certain uh, Serie A newsletter this week the best American moment though which might also be in that newsletter came in the final few minutes when Eunice Musa just decided to try and beat the, the, the entire Roma team on his own and he was the a base of a post away from doing so it was an incredible effort by Graham. Eunice Musa. so we, let's say it was 4-1 and we'll just give him a go for it Graham I, I need more detail Talk it through. Talk it through. Tell uh, me what he Yeah, did. the okay. newsletter's called Couch Air Weekly, Taylor. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Hard pass. Graham? Set him up for the plug. <laughs> okay, so it's essentially, it's just Yunus Musa picks up the ball. Off the top of my head, it's like the center circle he picks up the ball. Yes. And just, he beats one. And this is where I, the, the slight caveat is, I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure he had this run and shot in his mind you when he started mouth. the move. But then it's a little bit. It's one of those... It's one of those dribbles where he beats one and then there's another player on top of him. He's like, oh, I might as well beat this player as well. And then there's another player on top of him. Okay, I'm just going to dribble past past this player. And by the end of it, the ball's kind of like running away from him a little bit and he sort of toe pokes the shot towards goal. But it was excellent. I enjoyed it very much. Let's just give him a goal. Indeed. Agreed. A uh, um, couple of international tournaments taking place this, this weekend. We had the start, of course, of AFCON. Yes. Uh, we will, yes, we will be covering AFCON uh, in greater detail on the feed, but we'll run through a couple of the opening fixtures. Uh, Joe, we had the Ivory Coast with a 2-0 win over Guinea-Bissau in their opener. 
Yeah, this tournament has been so much fun so far. It's been every bit as good as I wanted it to be. A bit of a bummer that uh, the camera feed on BN for the Senegal-Gambia game cut out for like the entire first half, but it's back on now and I'm actually double screening and getting this done at the exact same time because the tournament's been so good, you guys. Like this game, Ivory Coast, Guinea-Bissau, first game of the tournament, right? This tournament's being held in the Ivory Coast. Inseko Fofana starts the whole thing off with an absolute rocket. It's the Ivory Coast pressing high. Frank Kessier wins the ball, slips it forward to Seko Fofana, who breaks into the box. He's a little off balance, but manages to sort of turn that off balance into pure power and slaps the ball with his right foot around the goalkeeper and into the back of the net. A little later, he has another right-footed banger that hits the woodwork. That would have, I think, broken everybody in attendance for this game if it had found the back of the net. But Ivory Coast in this game, they were the better team pretty clearly. Uh, Taylor, I think you were very high on them in the preview that we did. The talent's clear to see, and I think everybody has them in their in their list of top favorites for this competition. They weren't totally dominant in this game, but they were the better team. The midfield is absolutely where my attention was focused. It's a 4-3-3 in this game for the Ivory Coast. And the midfield is so, so strong. I mentioned Seko Fofana already as the, he was sort of playing as a left-sided number eight. Frank Kessie was playing as the right-sided number eight. And then it was Ibrahim Sangare as the number six. And Sangare is probably my favorite player of the three, even though it was Fofana who stole the show in this match. So much fun. I'm sure we'll talk more about the Ivory Coast later when we do that other review. Ryan, can I slip in one more game, at least in my in my section of talking about all this stuff? Yes. Okay, good. Because it's going to be one that makes everybody happy. Ghana 1, Cape Verde 2. Yep. Cape Verde, we're just the better team, straight up, in this yep. game. We were absolutely right about Ghana and their shortcomings. They basically all showed in this game with the caveat of Mohamed Kudush being unavailable. And he is the kind of player that can turn a bad performance and a 1-2 loss into a draw or into three points for you. So I, I do feel for Ghanaian fans on that front. But, like... Man, no excuses on the day because you have the talent advantage over Cape Verde. It's Jamiro Montero, Major League Soccer free agent right now, who gets the opening goal off of a rebound. Goalkeeper, you know, makes a, a decent save but parries it not far enough away from the goal mouth. Montero pounces on it and scores. And the second goal is absurd. The, the Ghana last is absurd. I don't know who saw this. Taylor's nodding. Yep. He saw it. Three Ghanaian defenders. I just have down in my notes, fail. Because that's what they're doing for various mm -hmm. reasons. Like, they all just fail to deal with the danger on the right side of their own box. Then the goalkeeper comes out and misses. Like, just completely yeah. misreads the situation. And it leads to, like, a pass into the back of the net for Kate Verde. It's the game winner. Late in the second half, it's a 2-1 win. I think we're going to see some real action in this group. This is Group B, where Egypt drew in their first game against Mozambique. Kate Verde get the win over Ghana. And all of a yeah. sudden, it's Kate Verde on three points, Mozambique and Egypt on one point. This tournament has been awesome, guys. I am so excited for more, and I'm so excited for Thursday when we're going to dig into all of the action so far. Yeah, man. Totally agree. Uh, did not see the results of Egypt-Mozambique before watching Ghana Cape Verde. So at the end of that one, to hear that they were top of the table, I was shocked awesome. in a number of different ways. And man, do I have more concerns about Ghana. Because this was the team that we talked about them in the preview, like... Uh, Chris Hutton, their manager, has been criticized for being overly cautious, overly conservative, too defensive. And so for a team that has had that criticism to come out and concede two goals, but also not look like they were trying to do much in the way of attack, I, I don't know what's going to happen in this tournament with some third-place teams getting out, but I would have some strong concerns were I a Ghanaian fan. And as a lifelong Cape Verde supporter uh, who just learned how to pronounce that country <laughs> more or less last week, uh, I, I loved this result. Uh, I was hyped about this game uh, in the preview. I, I thought that this could be an opportunity for us to see 
who actually is good and who is not right at the level. And I would say Ghana, maybe not at the level we expected K third, above the level expected. Yeah. Very excited for them. Yeah, fair play, Taylor. You you did call the the Cape Verde thing. My favorite thing about their winning goal is is the the challenge oh, yeah. from uh, Ofori, the the Ghanaian goalkeeper, completely wipes out the Cape. Yeah. So if he doesn't finish, if it's not finished into the back of the net, it's a penalty to Cape Verde. But then also, I love that the Cape Verde striker, who's flattened out on the ground as soon as the ball goes into the net, like Lazarus, he is yeah. up and celebrating and in the stands. So maybe not quite as injured as he was trying to. It say. was it was such a long celebration because they went and celebrated with their supporters if for people who didn't see which meant getting over the advertisements running yeah. another like 10 yards going over Upstairs. the track up the stairs into the stands <laughs> it was terrific yeah and the referee only gave out one yellow card to the goal scorer it's like ah yeah that'll do it like the whole team's in the st- in the stand with the fans uh, i'm not i'm not advocating mass bookings but yeah it was a symbolic yellow card for rodriguez the goal scorer <laughs> to quickly run through the other big ticket items that have happened so far and again we'll hit this all in more depth in the rest of the action later in the week uh, going back to Nigeria 1, Equatorial Guinea 1, it's a massive result for Equatorial Guinea. There have been a ton of these sort of underdog teams that are coming in and getting at least a draw, if not more so, in this match day one. It's a big result for them. They get on the board first, and then it's Victor Osimhen who equalizes two minutes later to make it 1-1. Nigeria were, <laughs> were dominant in this game. I, I do want to get out ahead, though, of my uh, saying that they're going to be one of the favorites. Like, they they came out and they created a ridiculous number of chances. We were talking about this game in the Slack. Of all the reasons to doubt Nigeria, and there are very real reasons, as there are for almost every team in this tournament, Victor Osiman not finishing any number of his chances outside of that goal was probably not one that any of us had on the top of their list. Like, it's, it's a really good game and a good result for Equatorial Guinea, but Nigeria clearly the better team. We'll see if they can claw back from that. And then my heart goes out to Mozambique, who were up 2-1 against Egypt. It's a penalty after VAR rules, and I think it's the right call on Mohamed late in the game. And Mo Salah steps up and scores the penalty to make it 2-2. Like, that would have been, along with Cape Verde, fantastic, a huge upset. Probably a bigger one for Mozambique. But unfortunately, they could not quite see out that 2-1. And then one more game that's happened. But it's the one that I mentioned that, that's been going on while we're recording. Senegal 3, Gambia 0. We got to see Mintef for Gambia, which I loved. The fine old young, young winger on that right side. Uh, but he could not make the difference. Senegal pretty roundly, soundly, excuse me, the better team in this game. It's uh, Lamine Kamara, who we all mentioned and all had on our breakout players list with a brace in this game. He gets two goals. Senegal win 3-0. The favorites kind of doing favorite things early on here. Mm-mm. Chelsea are going to land 100 million euros on yeah. him by the end of the month. <laughs> oh, 100 million might be conservative. Uh, Joe, <laughs> forgive me. Did you mention the XG from Nigeria Equatorial Guinea? I, I didn't because I didn't think it would serve my argument well to convince you all that Nigeria, just because I, I could see Joe going to stats being a bad move um, in the in the public eye. But yeah, go ahead, Taylor. It was it was dumb. <laughs> uh, it was 3.52 for Nigeria, which is significant. Maybe equally significant is 0.26 for Equatorial Guinea, yeah. which does tell you that maybe Nigeria should have had uh, the better of the day, even though they did not. Um, Taylor, as a li- lifelong Cape Verde fan, mm-hmm. why don't they play in green? Uh, well, Ryan, because that would be too easy. And also because uh, maybe that doesn't mean what you think. It, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know why they do where it. Is the, where is the blue in the Italy flag? Point, oh, point. Yeah, I can tell you that. The country's not that. called blue, is it? It's called... Their nicknames are the Blue Sharks. House of Lombardy. I got this for you. I did a 101, 101. episode I was about just this. Thinking that, yeah, that's, a, that's the royal thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. I, I did a 101 about this, about but, countries that play in a color that isn't their dominant color. But they uh, have yeah. a color in their name that they're not using. That's what I don't understand. I don't know. 
Anyway, we'll get to the bottom of it one day, maybe. Um, also, I don't know. The US wore white and green once to a Women's World Cup. I don't know what to tell you. People make choices. If it's not called the United Greens of America. Anyway, I, I, I digress. I it's digress. not called the United Blues either. <laughs> Uh, The Asia Cup also taking place in Qatar, Australia with a 2-0 win over India. The UAE beat Hong Kong 3-1. I had a friend who was at that game, said it was very good. Uh, Japan came from behind to beat Vietnam 4-2 in Group D. Uh, Perhaps the big headline game, though, Iran beating Palestine 4-1 in their opener. Uh, Palestine facing the three-time champions, Iran, here. Uh, Obviously, a challenge for Palestine, no domestic soccer being played, limited chances for competitive matches. A quote from the Reuters report of that game huge cheers greeted the Palestine squad before uh, before the national team anthem was played as the Iranian fans showed solidarity with their Middle Eastern counterparts with some holding the Iran flag flag side by side with the Palestine colours also happening as we record uh, the big one of course which we'll devote another half an hour to if you've uh, if listen if you want to stick around for this Indonesia against Iraq because of course Ace Wimbledon star striker Ali Alhamadi in the Iraq squad he hasn't actually come on the field yet but um, he's he's wears a number nine for Iraq the number 10 Graham we're talking about our f- favorite names uh, Oscar Bob earlier in the show number 10 for Iraq Muhammad Ali that's pretty cool as well <laughs> that's a pretty pretty cool name I saw that the Egypt team in their game something like Someone pointed out on Twitter that like 13 of their squads had the name Muhammad. Obviously, a very common name. Not too surprising. The, isn't but, it yeah. the most common name in the world, I think? I believe so. Well, Superbad told me that, yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. I Probably forgot well. about that. That's right. <laughs> I wish his name had been that. Although, McLovin is pretty solid. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, more coverage coming for the Asia Cup on TSS in the later rounds as that tournament progresses as well. Uh, any other business? Joe, NWSL draft. Quick note on that. Yeah, we had a, a crazy Friday in the NWSL. Ashley Sanchez and Sam, Sam Staub both getting traded from the Washington Spirit. I'm sorry, Spirit fans, although they also made a ton of moves in the first round as well. Taylor, I felt for you on the Spirit on the Sanchez trade, though, because I know we're both Ashley Sanchez fans. Mm-hmm. But going to North Carolina, courage for her and Sam Staub heading off to the Chicago Red Stars. It was a, a pretty busy first round, especially of the draft with those trades flying in. And then also, we had a couple of expansion teams getting picks at the top of the draft. Utah Royals had the first pick, the AFC had the second, and they both cho- chose Tar Heels. North Carolina had a ton of players getting taken in this draft. It was Ali Sentner going first overall to the Utah Royals, and Savvy King going second overall to Bay FC. We talked about Oscar Bob early on in the show. Savvy King is an elite name, soccer or otherwise. Your second overall pick in the NWSL draft. The season will kick off in March. Savvy King, Muhammad Ali, Oscar Bob. Classics all around. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> Joe, I, I appreciate you not ending that by dunking further on the Washington spirit. My, my mm-hmm was, was the indicative of the trepidation I felt as I thought you were about to like, like, hey, and they were terrible. So thank you for not fully dunking on no, them. I appreciate I, that. I don't, I don't think they should be dunked on right now. It's a little too early to judge all these moves. They get Croy Bethune, who is a, a pretty highly rated attacking prospect, creative player kind of going to be a a like-for-like with Ashley Sanchez, at least in terms of some of the flair that she brings. I think Washington Spirit with Jonathan Geraldes coming in, Barcelona Mm -hmm. women's coach, he's going to be coming in mid-season, so that's after, I believe, Barcelona finish up their their season in Spain and in Europe. Like They are on the early inside track for most interesting team in the league. I'm not sure they're Uh going to be good, but I think there's a very (laughs) real chance that they're going to be good, and you can see that there are some swings being taken by ownership and by the club. So we'll see where the dust ends up settling. But uh, I am cautiously optimistic and at the very least intrigued about what the Spirit are doing. Wonderful stuff. All right. 
weekend. Consider yourself reviewed. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your part in this process. Thank you, my friend. Nicely done, Ryan Bailey. Thank you very much. Graham Rutherford, thank you, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Can I just finish on a very quick story that I enjoyed a lot over the weekend? Karen Benzema, he's pulled a Jordan Henderson, which is the first time that's ever been said, by the way, but he wants to leave uh, the Saudi Pro League. He didn't turn up for Aleti, had pre-season training over the weekend. His excuse, can anyone guess his excuse? He said he's trapped in a cyclone in Mauritius, which is one of, first of all, I hope he's okay. If he is okay, that is hilarious that that is his excuse. That's an all-time excuse for not turning up to training. How, How literally are we taking that? Yeah, uh, like is he <laughs> no, suspended like, I, in midair yeah. like a cartoon? Is he spinning round? <laughs> uh, that first of all should replace "I'm trapped in a glass case of emotion" from Anchorman as the the, the new most quoted <laughs> metaphorical line. Uh, but but yeah, I think that will be my excuse from now on. I'm trapped in a cyclone in Mauritius. Is how I'm going to be like, hey guys, <laughs> I know we're supposed to record at ten. I'm going to send that link at ten oh five. I'm trapped in a cyclone in Mauritius. There, there we, we go. go. <laughs> it's canon. Uh, Joe Larry, our very own savvy king. Thank you very much. I just hate that that's exactly what Taylor's actually going to do, which just means it's going to take an extra minute for him to type all that out before he joins. <laughs> this is good stuff. Thanks. Correct. Indeed. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.